You know, this morning we do, and today we do celebrate the awesome impact of moms. There's an old Spanish proverb that goes like this, an ounce of mother is worth a ton of priest. Abraham Lincoln once said, no man is poor who has had a godly mother. William Wallace, uh, one, a, a great Scottish uh, warrior, he said, the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Now this today and this morning, we rightly pause and we say thank you to our moms. Thank you for all that you do, for all that you teach, for all that you mean to all those around you. This morning, though, we're not going to talk just with moms. We're going to talk with all of us. We're going to look at the concept of the home this morning. And the concept of this, building your dream home. Building your dream home. When you think of the concept of a dream home, what comes to mind? Don't say it out loud, but picture it in your head. I, I, want, you to, I want you to picture what it looks like. Does your dream home, does it have a lot to do with square footage? Maybe it's acreage. Maybe you picture that house, but surrounded by open green. Maybe it's a location. Your dream home's on the, on the beach or in the country. It's in the city or up in the mountains. Maybe it's amenities. Maybe it's that outdoor kitchen that you've always wanted. Maybe it's that full basement. Not that these are things that would be on my dream list or anything like that, but uh, maybe they're yours. Maybe it's amenities. Maybe it's a style of home. Maybe it's a, a way that you could use your home. But you know, very often when we picture our dream home, man, some of those concrete physical images come to mind. But I find it interesting that when we look in the scripture, that when the Bible talks about a blessed home, it doesn't really say uh, anything about the size of the house. Rather, when the Bible talks about a, having a dream home, what the Bible elevates is not the size of the house, but the substance of the hearts of the people who live there. Amen. Proverbs, we see several examples of this. Proverbs 17 in verse number 1, we see this. Better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith than a house full of sacrifices with strife. In Proverbs chapter 15 and verse number 17, it says this, Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. You see, the concept of having a dream home really has very little to do with the size of the home or the location of the home or what you're physically able to put into the home. It has so much more to do with what we bring in our hearts to the home. And the relationships that we have with one another. So on Mother's Day today, I want us to consider the home. Because, and I know we've had a lot of quotes this morning. As someone wisely once stated, as goes, as goes the home, so goes the church. And so goes the nation. The reality is, our families matter. And there is a value and priority that God puts on the home that really is all but lost in our <laughs> modern culture today. So let's talk about this, building our dream home from Psalm 127. And let's look at verse number 1 again. And notice the psalmist simply says that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. So what does it take to build our dream home? 
Number one, I think it takes that we have to build on God's truth. We have to build on God's truth. As you look at the scriptures, and even as you look at Psalm 127, what do you find? You find an obvious claim by the Lord God on the home. The home belongs to Him. Why do you say that? Well, the home was His idea. Genesis chapter 2. Go all the way back to the beginning. What do you find beginning in verse number 21? And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which God had taken from the man, he made a woman. And what does it say? And brought her unto the man. Who brought Adam and Eve together? Wasn't happenstance. It wasn't circumstance. It wasn't an accident. It was God that brought them together. We go on. We see verse 23, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And God ordained this thing of the home. The home is God's institution. Now God has authority on the home. Why? Because it's his. He ordained it, and so he has authority over it. Now, I'll point out here that our psalm also points out that not just that God is the authority on the home because he ordains it, but that God is the author of all life, that all life comes from God. The Bible says children are in heritage of the Lord. The home is not something we came up with. No, the home has divine origin, and the divine origination of the home demands divine order in the home. So much so that, you know, when Jesus was asked any question on marriage, you know what he always did? He went back to Genesis. Jesus was asked a question in Matthew 19 on marriage, and Jesus' response, beginning in verse number 4, he said, and he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Full stop. Continue. And said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. Full stop. And they twain shall be one flesh. Verse number six. Wherefore they are no more twain. They're no more two. They are one flesh. Wherefore, what, therefore God hath joined together. Let not man put asunder. And so when Jesus needed to teach on marriage, do you know what Jesus did? He went simply back to the beginning. Because this thing about the home being God's and what God's design for the home is, guys, it's really not that hard. So let me give a couple truths here. With this in mind that the dream home has to be built on God's truth, think about this. Truth number one, that God's way is really the only way to build a dream home. You're not going to do it your way. The, the only way to build the dream home is to do it God's way. Now I'm reminded here that this was written by Solomon. If you know anything about Solomon, he was incredibly wealthy. Incredibly, like mind-bogglingly wealthy. He had all the money, 
all the supplies, all the workers, all the gold, all the silver, all the best trees. He had it all. And he also had the best situation. His father David spent his life fighting wars. Solomon lived and reigned in a time of peace and expansion. He had the best stuff and he had the best situation. And yet this man with the best stuff in the world and the best situation in the world looked and said, except the Lord build a house. They labor in vain that build it. The only way to build the dream home is to build it God's way. Because what really makes for a dream home is to have that home filled with God's presence and God's power and God's peace and God's purpose. And the reality is that doesn't happen apart from God's plan and product. Let me ask us this morning, how many of us realize that to be true? That that the dream home has got to be, oh come on, let's give testimony to it this morning. How many of us believe that to be true? That the dream home has got to be built on God's truth. And I love that about this church. That this church, buddy, we don't always get it right. But it is our heart's desire to live this book. To have this book live inside of us. We've got mamas and we've got daddies and we've got grandmas and we've got grandpas who are willing to go against the grain of the world. Who are willing to humbly and lovingly say, thus saith the Lord. And we we try, don't we? We try to model our families after this book. Don't give up. Don't give up. I praise God that we have a church full of families who are committed to building by God's blueprint. You know, we don't always succeed, do we? But don't give up. It doesn't always make sense, does it? Sometimes God wants me to do things in regards to my family and leadership and things, and I'm like, ah, I don't know. I don't understand. But don't give up because God's way is the best way. And you're not going to get the dream home without building it on God's truth. Hear me, church. We do not apologize for trying to build our homes God's way. Because we, like Solomon, know that we desperately need God's blessing. I think it's a beautiful thing for the families of this church like Joshua as he did in Joshua 24 in verse number 15 where he looked at the children of Israel and said, If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in, the, in whose land ye dwell. Notice what Joshua says here. He says, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Guys, we got to get our blueprints from somewhere, don't we? Get them from this book. Truth number one, understanding it's got to be built on God's truth that God's way really is the only way to build your dream home. And number two, hear me, God makes much of the home, so you should too. And you shouldn't apologize for that. Some people never have family dinner. Some people, they run a thousand different directions at a thousand miles per hour. Some people delegate the rearing of their children to every institution known to man. God makes much of your family, and you should too. 
And I'm not saying every one of our families ought to be alike, but I am saying that every one of our families ought to understand the value that God places on the home. The home is the first and foundational institution. God gave us the home before he gave us government. God gave us the home before he gave us the church. The home is the first and foundational institution in society. And the home has incredible impact on the other two. So don't you ever feel bad for making much of your home, your spouse, your kids, and the family that God has given you. Boy, if we're going to build a dream home, it's got to be built on God's truth. Amen? Amen. Amen. That one wasn't so bad. The next one's a little bit tougher. Look with me. Back Psalm 127. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. Verse number two. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for he giveth his beloved sleep. So number one, if we're going to build a dream home, number one, it's got to be built on what? Built on God's truth. Here we go. Number two, if we're going to build the dream home, it's got to be built on genuine trust. Genuine trust. How many of us recognize there's a lot of bad stuff out there? There's a whole lot of evil. And there's a whole lot of danger. I'm going to tell you, there is so much that can go wrong. Just in general. I mean, when it comes especially to family and kids, there is no end of stuff to worry about. You ever packed to go on a trip with kids? You pack for every contingency. I mean every contingency. No, 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 you misunderstand me. I mean every contingency. Is it going to snow? Is it going to rain? Is it going to be hot? Is it going to be cold? Are we going to be inside? Are we going to play putt-putt? Are we going to eat ice cream? Is the ice cream going to melt too fast? Are we going to grow out of our belts if we eat too much ice cream? Should we bring the second set of belts? Should we bring three extra pairs of pants? What about the kids? What about this? What about this? What about this? Why? Because you realize just in general there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong (laughs) I'm reminded and blessed that Walmart is five minutes away amen and amen not that I'm saying this for any sort of upcoming trip (laughs) but church here's the thing about worry worry it it is exacting isn't it we we focus in on all of these little particulars and worry it's excruciating the stress and the pain that we put on our bodies and our hearts here's the thing about worry it's exhausting it's exhausting you think about this think about oh baby worries is my baby growing enough timothy learned how to crawl so now we got to worry about stairs or something like that my thought is he'll figure it out you know after one or Two instances, but uh, we have to worry about stairs. We have to worry about blowouts. No more details there. <laughs> when it comes to kids, we've got teen worries. I got those coming up, but we won't even go there right now. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Amen. 
I mean, we worry about the evil of society. I walk around the upstairs of my house. It's spring, so we have the windows open. But I only want certain windows open because if I'm downstairs, I, my mind just goes places. Well, that window or that window or that, you've got to be careful about what windows you leave open. And We worry about all sorts. We have life worries. Here's the reality. I probably check to make sure the stove is off seven times a day. There's a lot to worry about. But when we're all done worrying, what have we accomplished? Nothing good. Nothing is better. You're just wore out. And the reality is you can worry yourself sick and it doesn't change a thing. Here's what Solomon teaches us this morning. That if we're going to build our dream home, it has to be built on trust. Except the Lord build, they build in vain. And except the Lord keep, they watch in vain. Let me make a statement this morning. You can and should trust God with your home. Amen. I mean, I know it's natural for us to worry about our kids and want the best for our kids and grandkids and, and worry about the world and the culture and this and how it's going to affect and whether it's going to touch us. But no, you can and should trust God with your home. You can and should trust God with your kids. You can and should trust God with your problems. You can and should trust God with the unknown. You should trust God with everything. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse number 6, Be careful, meaning be anxious or worried for nothing. Hmm. But in everything, what's the prescription? By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. What happens when we do that? When we let these requests be made known unto God? Verse number 7, look what happens. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. The peace of God. Not the peace of good times. Not the peace of a well-funded retirement. Not the peace of good health. Not the peace of good relationships in the moment. But the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Here's the thing. When you truly trust God with your home, with your life, what happens? You're not trying to hold on to peace. No, it is God's peace that is holding on to you. You're not trying to protect peace. No, God's peace is protecting you. You can and should trust God. Hey, church, He is worthy of your trust. Now, I understand. How many of us would be self-aware enough to admit that we struggle with worry from time to time? How many of us would be self-aware enough to acknowledge that? Yeah, the vast majority of us. And I recognize when I say this got to be built on trust, I recognize that that's easy to say but sometimes hard to do. But church, I think it's a matter of focus. You see, where does my worry come from? Often my worry comes because I focus on my limitations. I recognize that I can't stop the evil in this world. And that if God allowed evil or catastrophe could touch loved ones, and there would probably be nothing I could do about it. I, I, I worry because I see my own limitations. Because I know I can't do it for them. 
I want my kids to make good decisions and I want my kids to follow God. But I can't make those heart decisions for them. And so why do I worry? I worry because I focus on my own limitations. Or, or maybe I worry because I focus on my kids' lawlessness. And I'm like, why? Stop it. Just stop it. Why can't we figure it out? Why can't we get it together? Why can't we? And I worry because it should be better than this by now. And so I worry. I worry about my own limitations. I worry about my kids' lawlessness. I, I worry about things that I can't control. And when this is the case, I will drive myself crazy. Because when, the fo- when I am the focus of my life, life will often seem crazy and out of control. But when I shift my focus to God, boy, I stop and I recognize nothing's out of his control. Nothing is out of his sovereign care. That it's, it all works together for good to them that love God. I, I, I find that I have limits, but he is limitless. When I shift my focus and confidence from myself and my situation to God, something wonderful happens. Peace. Peace. Isaiah says it this way, Isaiah 26 and verse number 3. Thou, speaking of the Lord, will keep him in perfect peace. Doesn't that sound like a beautiful thing? Thou will keep him in perfect peace peace. Who is that someone whose mind is what? Whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he, oh we can do better than that church, whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusts in thee. Verse number four. Trust ye in the Lord forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. I'm going to tell you, sometimes things seem daunting in the home. And we struggle in marriage. And we struggle in life. And we struggle in parenting. And we struggle in grandparenting. And we wonder, how can we do this? Trust ye in the Lord forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Here's the thing. His grace is sufficient. His strength is sufficient. His peace is sufficient. His wisdom is sufficient. That's why i got to shift the focus off of here. Off of here. And put the focus there. Because as the psalmist says, when we do this, he gives his beloved sleep. Boy, that seems like a precious promise, doesn't it? One that I want to realize more and more. But church, we trust in him because he's worthy, amen? Amen. We trust in him because he's able, amen? Give you one more thought. We trust in him because he cares. 1 Peter 5 and verse number 7 tells us this, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I mean, it's one thing to take our problems to someone who is higher than us. It's another thing to take our problems to someone who is stronger than us. But I'm going to tell you, it's a whole different thing to take our problems to someone who truly cares for us. Casting all your care upon him. Why? For he careth for you. And the reality is God cares for your spouse, your kids, your home, yourself more perfectly and more passionately than even you do. 
I'm going to tell you, without trust, the dream home can become a walking nightmare. While we all worry ourselves to frayed ends. From time to time, my wife drives while I'm in the vehicle. I'm sorry. From time to time, um, people who have control issues, if they allow their spouse to drive, hypothetical situation. Um... (laughs) If they have control issues, they'll let their spouse drive. And maybe you've seen or experienced this phenomenon that though you are a passenger, you're not a passive passenger. You're doing things like, or, 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 but how many of us Come on now, how many of us is that our level of trust in God? Well, God, I trust you with my kids, and God, I trust you with my home, and God, I trust you with my life, but... (gasps) (laughs) You know, I'm doing that in the front seat. The kids are asleep in the back. But who truly trusts? Here's the thing, guys. Either God's in charge or he's not. Here's the thing, guys. Either God's in control or he's not. Here's the thing. Either he's worthy of our trust or he's not. Either he's capable or he's not. Either he's caring or he's not. You know what? If we're going to build a dream home, it's got to be built on genuine trust. So number one, we're building our dream home today. What's it built on? Number one, it's built on God's truth. Number two, it's built on genuine trust. Number three, let's look at the rest of this psalm together beginning in verse three. Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gates. And we are rounding third and heading for home. My goal is to let you beat the Methodist to the buffet today because we know dads don't do a lot of dishes. So, number one, we have built on God's truth. Number two, we have built on genuine trust. Number three, our dream home has got to be built on godly training. It's got to be built on godly training. Here's the thing. Last but certainly not least, Solomon comes to children. Now let me make a statement here. Children are a blessing and not a burden. I need you to get on board with that. Children are a blessing and not a burden. Children are always a blessing. Whether it's one child, 10 children, or 15 children in the home, children are always a blessing. Whether it's a healthy child or a sick child, children are always a blessing. Whether it's a smart child or a struggling child, children are always a blessing. Whether it's a helpful child or a child that will need his or her parents' help for the rest of their lives, children are always a blessing. Period. Children are not a burden. Children are not an economic equation. Children do not weigh us down. Children are a blessing. They are a gift from God. God is the author, the giver of life. God is the one who forms homes. God is the one who forms these children and gives them to their parents. Thank God for children and church. We ought to celebrate life here. Amen. Children are a blessing.
Now let me go a little further. It's important to have children. In fact, it's one of the first and formational commands that God gives humanity. Genesis 1 and verse number 28. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. I mean, it's like the first thing God told them. It's important to have children. Now, there's a lot of reasons I know. People don't. Sometimes we think, well, the world is so bad and life is so hard that we just don't want to bring a child into that. Let me ask you, what if Noah's parents had had that mindset? What if Moses' parents had had, well, we're in Egypt. It's just not a great time. The world's a pretty bad place. What if Elijah's parents had thought that way? What if your parents had thought that way? Children are important. And training children, honestly, is one of, if not the most important thing we will ever do with our lives. It's more important than moving up the corporate ladder. It's more important than building up your bank account. It's more important than collecting uh, frequent flyer miles. Now, not everybody marries. Not everybody has kids. And people have a variety of reasons for that. But at the end of the day, the bottom line is every one of us have to agree to the fact that we need to value children. We need to celebrate life, and we need to pray for, be an example for, protect, and encourage the children that God has given us and placed around us, and encourage them to know and follow Christ with their lives. Children are a blessing. And I love the imagery here from Psalm 127. Children are a blessing of the Lord. Verse 5, happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. Children bring happiness. Verse number 4, though, it talks about as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man. So are children of the youth. So the imagery here is beautiful. Arrows in the hand of a mighty man. In other words, children are meant to be prepared and sent out to impact this world for Christ. Mom and dad, if I might have your attention... You are called to disciple your children. By the way, that's a whole lot more than just discipline them. You are called to disciple your children, to lead them to know and follow Christ with their life. Proverbs 22 and verse number 6 reminds us that we are to train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's our responsibility, to train up that child. And I think as parents, especially in this generation, we have to embrace the fact that we as parents are called to be the primary shaper, discipler of our child. And that is not something that we delegate. Here's the thing. It is not the school's job to make sure your child gets educated. It's not the church's job to make sure your child gets saved. And knows the Lord. I mean, we want to help and we want to see everybody get saved. But God has given that soul to you. To make sure that they get educated. To make sure that they, that they come to know the Lord. That they make sure they, they grow up healthy and, and learn how to live life. God has given that to you. Ephesians 6 and verse number 4 reminds us as parents not to provoke our children to wrath, but to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And I think it's important to note that if we're going to disciple them, that we have to be disciplined ourselves. Did you notice the qualification in verse number 4? As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man. 
Not just a regular man. Not just any old man. But a mighty man. A man who is strong, who is disciplined, who, who has conquered himself. Have you ever seen somebody untrained with a bow? I brought one. Yeah, this is Christopher's. Here's the thing. Me and Christopher, we go to shoot. We were shooting the other week. And honestly, I, 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 I don't know which way is up and which way is down. I think this should be up, but then the arrows are upside down. And so it's not a good situation. We were out there. We were shooting boxes and we were shooting water bottles. I'm going to figure this out. This way. But the arrows are down. Does that matter? Okay. Thank you. I am not a mighty man. Um, we were trying to hit water bottles. We were literally from like here to the tree. We each took like 10 shots and we hit it once. Here's the thing. Not just anybody can make one of these go where it's supposed to go. It takes a tremendous amount of skill, of learning, of determination. I think sometimes, because let's be honest, parenting is not for the faint of heart. We simply want to get the arrow out and hope it's not broke too bad. And then we think, well, whew. No. Before we consider where this ought to go, we ought to make sure we're pointed in the right direction. We ought to make sure we're honed in, mom and dad. Because the do as I say, not as I do thing, it doesn't turn out strong disciples. It turns out resentful hypocrites. It turns out rebels. It turns out people who walk away from the faith. The do as I say, not as I do works about as well as a broke financial advisor. Works about as well as a 600-pound personal trainer. It just doesn't hold water. I'm going to tell you, though, strength and skill don't come cheap. But mamas and daddies, we ought to be able to look at our kids and say what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11 in verse number 1 when he told those people, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Hey, I'm pointed in the right direction. Hey, I'm zoned in. I'm zeroed in. Come with me. And we point them in that direction because that's the direction we're already going. Now, what is discipleship? Discipleship, got to point it the right way again. Go. Discipleship is what? Discipleship is seeking to point their hearts where? To Christ. Discipleship is seeking to point their hearts to know Him, to love Him, to receive Him, and then to follow Him for the rest of their lives. That's what we're trying to do. That's where we're trying to point them. That's where we're trying to send them. Now, here's the thing. you got to make sure that your mission's right. Because there are some who just kind of close their eyes and, and hope that it just doesn't break too bad when they let go. But I'm going to tell you, there's a, whole lot more, there's a whole lot more of the world that has seeped into the church than we realize. Remember, the problem's not that the church is in the world. The problem is when the world gets in the church. So I know, I know if we don't hurry, the Methodists are going to beat us. But let me, let me meddle a little bit, all right? 
Think about it this way. How many parents, their mission is we want our children to do well and live happy, happy, uncomfortable. We want them to do well and live happy, comfortable lives. Is that the mission, mom and dad? No. Because if that's the mission, we're teaching them an unbiblical concept of suffering. We're not called to live happy, comfortable lives. We're called to take up our cross and follow him. Big difference. How many parents want to raise their children to have powerful and plentiful self-esteem? Is that what we want? No, we want our children to esteem others better than themselves and esteem Christ most of all. How many of us, we train our children and we want them to be well-behaved, good, poised, comfortable, socially acceptable kids. Is that what we want? No, because if that's the goal, what are we doing? We're teaching them what? We're teaching them actually to perform and respond for others first of all. And we ought to be teaching them to think more about what God thinks than what others think. We ought to be teaching them to fear God rather than man. Some of us, our mission is we want them to do well academically so they can have a good job. But biblically, we're not supposed to seek money, but rather prepare ourselves for the divine purpose that God created us for. Hmm. We want our kids to have fun, have all the experiences they can. Well, what are we doing? We're teaching them to live for now. And as Christians, we're not called to live for now. We're called to live for eternity. We got to be so careful because so often the culture creeps in. And we got to make sure, church, that we are on mission. So we need the right mission and we need the right method. You see, discipleship is... Let me give you a couple of things about discipleship and we're done. Discipleship is proactive. Honestly, the time to train is before you need it. Let me ask you, if I needed to use this bow because I was starving or I needed to use this bow to defend, would the moment that the bad guy came into my house be the opportune time for me to string the first bow? Would the moment the bad guy came into my house be the opportune time for someone to come along and say, now let me point out where your sights are and let me point out exactly where your fingers should go and maybe you should have an elbow or a forearm guard for this. I, don't, I made that up. Um, and, and No, when is the time to train? The time to train is before you need it. Oh, but how many of us, we, we reactive parent. We address it when it comes up. And typically, it's in corrective fashion. Don't you know? Well, probably not, because we've never actually sat down and tried to train them apart from the ah moments of life. And so, discipleship parenting, it is proactive. The time to train is before you need it. I can remember coaching in basketball, and the situation came up, and I knew exactly what they needed to do. We need to run this. Oh, I never taught them that play. Hmm. And guess what? Because I didn't teach them, we couldn't run it. Mom and dads, we're not here to just react. We are here to proactively train our children. We ought to teach them how to respond to God. We ought to teach them how to study His Word. We ought to teach them how to handle money. Mom and dad, you ought to teach your children... How to be good stewards of money. How to be generous with money. How, how to give and help people and give to the things of God. You ought to train your children how to handle money. You ought to train your children 
for matters of marriage and sexuality. By the way, if you don't, the world will. You ought to train your children. You ought to train your children how to be a good friend. What to do when they do wrong. What to do when they get wrong. What to do when they see somebody else wrong. I'm going to tell you, there is no end to the things that we could proactively train our children in. And set them up for success in life. So discipleship is proactive. Let me give you another thought. Discipleship is persistent. How many of us recognize training is not always appreciated? Why? Because training involves taking someone from the comfort of where they are to fulfill the capacity of which they are capable. I'm going to tell you this. Discipleship parenting, it is hard. It is hard. It is the image of fashioning an arrow and stringing an arrow. Other places in Scripture, it's the image of wetting a knife sharpening the blade it takes skill it takes persistence it takes it takes wisdom now i'm gonna tell you sometimes we find we press too hard we aim too high or we aim too low and what do we do when that happens mom and dad well we recognize we reevaluate we repent if necessary we adjust and we press on we don't give up because it matters too much Because at the end of the day, church, we're not interested in building models of good citizens. We're interested in building godly Christians. We're not interested in building kids that can sing every word of Frozen, but whose hearts are stone cold to the things of God. I'm not interested in raising kids that are technologically savvy, but theologically stupid. That's not what we're here for. I want to raise them to know and to love and to live for Jesus Every day of their lives to point them to the cross and then watch them fly. I'm going to tell you, church, you may never have that house out in the country. You may never have that outdoor kitchen. You may never have that beachfront mansion, but you can have your dream home. You can. You got to build it on what? Number one, you got to build it on God's truth. Number two, you got to build it on genuine trust and number three you got to build it on godly training but I'm going to tell you as we close out our service this morning we talk about our children they're the one child that that matters above all others is the Christ child the fact that God gave his son for us since our sin separated us from him we couldn't get to him he came to us Since our sin required death, he died on the cross for us that we might have his life. Can I tell you, if you're here today without the Lord Jesus, I can't think of a better day than today than to put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what that is or what that means in just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. I invite you to get my attention, get someone's attention, and we can take God's word and show you how you can know if you died today, you'd go to heaven. But I'm going to tell you, church, because Jesus came, because he died, because he rose, because his spirit lives within you, I don't care what you face. You can build a model home, a dream home for his glory.